Super Tuesday, Biden dominates, Bernie disappoints, and we have our special guest, Andrew Shin. This is the Matt and Chan Show. Listeners, welcome back to the Matt and Chan Show. How y'all doing today? Matt, it's good to be sitting across the table uh, from you once again. We're back here on a Thursday this time instead of a Friday. A little bit interesting with track meet schedules uh, falling into place. It's tis the season, as they say. Oh, I know tracks going, schools going, midterms. It's crazy right now. I know I just had three midterms today. I still have one more to do, so I'm going to be studying late tonight. I got work tonight, so. Yeah, it's crazy right now. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat. I had one today, one tomorrow, and, and another take-home one tomorrow. And, uh, you know, we're uh, bringing you guys the content, but we're also bringing our best games academically, athletically. Um, we are renaissance men. Yes, as you as you like to coin that phrase. I love that. Yeah, this has been one of those days where I'm like, we get to look forward to doing and getting you guys all this great content. Super Tuesday this week. Andrew Shin comes on the show. Um, it's it's a great week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we don't want to keep them waiting too long on the Andrew Shin interview, so let's jump into some Super Tuesday results. Uh, we're reporting on a Thursday, and so not all of the delegates have been uh, counted yet. So if uh, we say something and then there's some change later on, you know, that's uh, the reason why is that uh, not all the delegates have been counted yet. So just uh, FYI there. Yeah. And um, as we look at our presidential results, Bernie Sanders was favored to win California and he did win California. He did win 33 percent of the vote. But Joe Biden, what a Tuesday for him, especially when he thought it was Super Thursday. This man last week I it cracks me up every every week, every day. There's a new thing. Yeah. Guy's really interesting. I know they were showing him at one of his campaigns sniffing people again. I'm like, this guy is just a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Joe does not disappoint when uh, it comes to being a weirdo. That's for sure. I know uh, he's got the memes um, when he was um, Barack Obama's VP. He's just, I think he's one of just the best memes um, of the past few years for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and surprising uh, as the leader right now, he's on the uh, national stage uh 566 delegates to biden at, compared to bernie sanders 495 uh other uh other people with some delegates elizabeth warren down at 41 mike bloomberg at 23 and tulsi gabbard at two um i'm kind of a tulsi gabbard fan in terms of the democrats in uh that were in this uh run up to the primaries and of course yang gang yeah, you know, Andrew Yang cannot uh, cannot discount the Yang gang. Of course, all non-factors in this election, it is Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. As we've seen now, Elizabeth Warren has dropped. Mike Bloomberg has dropped. Amy Klobuchar has dropped. Everybody dropped, and now they're getting behind Joe Biden. And I think it's an interesting to look at is Bernie Sanders and his socialist principles and how many Democrats – actually don't want to be tied in with that 
but it is becoming the Democratic Party, and the left has gone so far left um, that they don't even know what their own identity is. There's no platform um, unless it's socialism, and um, this is just uh, pretty much with the California vote. And what we saw is people are tired of taxes, and they're tired of having a lot of these things put on them by Democrats in a lot of these major run cities, San Francisco, LA, Chicago, all these different things. And this was just another thing um, showing the support for Donald Trump. Yeah, absolutely. I saw one stat that Donald Trump outperformed both Democrat primaries. I, I think you sent me a, a tweet of this. Uh, yeah. He outperformed bo- uh, both Democrat nominees uh, in Colorado uh, as the incumbent president, like you don't have to show up and vote for the incumbent president in a primary. I think it, I did. Um, I think it's good, good form, but you certainly don't have to. And so for Trump to outperform them in Colorado, that's uh, a good sign coming into the uh, presidential elections. Yeah. And um, even here in California, we had 227,000 voters go out and vote for Donald Trump in Fresno. There was a hundred thousand of those votes from Fresno. So it's showing the massive support for Donald Trump. It is a movement, as we've seen at his rallies. Nobody else has seen anything like this in history where he's filling up and selling out all of these venues that hold 10,000 people, 20,000. He went to India, 100,000 people. There is this overwhelming support for Donald Trump because they are tired of establishment candidates and they don't want to hear the same talking points they've been hearing the last decade. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think looking forward to November – with such a close race between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, I don't think they have a uh, similar voting base. Uh, I think the Bernie bros aren't a big fan of Joe Biden. I think they feel like he's stuffy and reminiscent of the uh, Barack Obama Democrats, which crazy to think that just four years ago that, you know, Obama was the progressive Democrat. uh, And now that's not progressive enough for them. And so I'd be curious to see if a lot of the Bernie bros stayed home if Joe Biden won the nomination or conversely, if a lot of Joe's supporters wouldn't vote for Bernie in a presidential election. Well, if you look at it, um, Joe Biden, a lot of the voting um, African-American communities, especially with the Barack Obama ties and um, his administration, there's a lot of pull there. Um, Bernie, on the other hand, people are excited. His people are excited that his supporters, but the thing is, if he's not the nominee, I like agree with you 100% that they are going to stay home. They don't want Joe Biden. They want socialism. And right. they want to see the destruction of America. And that's why we do this show <laughs> is educating people. And I was talking to different people in line at the polling um, place here in Fresno. And I had the opportunity to talk to this woman. And she was talking to me about taxes here in California and how Proposition 13 which didn't get approved. I'm happy. Amen. Um, and it was like overwhelmingly, I was really scared. Um, Sherry White coming on last week, giving her the shout out. Um, one of our highest listened shows to date. Um, Proposition 13 was a hot um, topic and it needed 50% to pass. It got to 44 and there was 56% no votes. So people are tired of it. Yeah. I'm so surprised that that didn't get passed in California. You know, I voted no, of course. And, I encourage some of my friends to do the same. And uh, I think there was, I had some friends who are registered Democrats who said, yeah, I'm planning on voting no for Proposition 13. I don't think the money's going to go towards where they say it's going. I'm tired of our taxes being raised. And these are our registered Democrats. Mm-hmm. And across California, 
we kind of seen a Republican uprising, conservative values. And I think we are seeing that at during this uh, primary season. A lot of Republicans won a lot of special elections. Some were closer than I thought they were going to be. Um, Jim Costa, um, Kevin Cookenham, um, pretty much comes in. And it's a pretty much like it's a toss of a 39 to 37. Um, and I was like, okay, Jim Costa. And I was talking to my dad about this just recently. And Jim Costa, like, it'd be so good to get him out of office. Mm-hmm. He's been in there so long and he hasn't done a lot. So he always says he's for the farmers, but he ends up going with uh, the Sacramento politicians and, and all the other California swamp creatures that we have. So, um, yeah. And then, um, David Valadeo, not a surprise district 21, uh, 22, Devin Nunez, strong double digit numbers, 59% to 24, uh, Kevin McCarthy, probably the next speaker of the house. If the Republicans take the house, so I'm looking forward. That'd be so cool to see that. And that was overwhelmingly 70 to 30. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, and I think the biggest thing is we'll see a lot more efficient Trump presidency if the House gets taken by the Republicans because we already have the Senate. So it's it'd be a really good thing to see uh, because of the different things that Trump promised in the first. And he's got a lot of stuff done even with the split partisanship of Congress. And I'm looking forward to seeing what this election holds and if we can get some seats flipped on yeah. the Republican side. It, it's looking very good for Republicans in America um, and for the Trump administration at this point. Obviously, still need to survive November. Uh, I think, yeah, if, if we see what what we're seeing in the primaries in November, I think Trump wins by a landslide. And yeah, the House and the Senate will both gain a lot of Republican seats. Um, but at this point, it's uh, still too early to call, of course. Yeah. So, um, Ken, what is our next topic of the day? I know we have a little bit of the coronavirus. I know Kids Day just got canceled. I just got a notification on that from ABC News uh, just because of the fear. And a lot of people around us are getting sick. So it's almost hard to tell. Yeah, sh- absolutely. I know as of yesterday, I think there was the first confirmed death in California from coronavirus. Um, there were six in Washington as of yesterday as well. Uh, I don't know if those numbers have gone up since, but um, yeah, it's starting to hit a little more close to home. Uh, I haven't heard of too many local cases yet, but I'm sure they're they're starting to rise. Um, this is something to be concerned about, but as far as I can tell, the um, no more than a flu like we've been saying for the last couple of episodes that, yeah, it, it's present and it's something take normal precautions but don't go crazy about it yeah i think it's just like the just like what sherry said last week and just making sure just to do the basic thing clean your hands and just be um, hygienic and just be able to do the basic things and that should help the spread of it i know the masks that has been a big thing and there's been some different studies seeing that the masks actually make it worse just because of the different bacteria that can go onto the mask when taking on and off etc so yeah just be safe out there um just do your best to help prevent any other spreads and any other deaths of the coronavirus yeah for sure and you know i have up here an article from cnn titled japan's infection rate could be the tip of the iceberg and i'd like to just get in briefly because this summer is supposed to be the 2020 olympics in tokyo japan and obviously pretty close to where the coronavirus is i'm a fan of track and field and really all olympic sports and uh I know Japan has come out pretty clearly and said that they will not uh, cancel or suspend the Olympics for coronavirus, but that's just something else to keep in mind um, that could be a possibility. 
Yeah. So um, last week we got some feedback from a fellow listener, um, Gilbert Cortez. His question was, how to lower healthcare costs for individual business owners? Mine is increasing next month by 25%. President Trump talked about reducing healthcare costs by, I believe, 60%. He talked as though it's already done, said on the State of the Union address. Thanks. Ken, what are your thoughts on lowering health care costs and why maybe he hasn't seen the results here in California? Yeah, for sure. And um, big shout out, uh, of course, to Gilbert Cortez. Um, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, you know, my my solution is always going to be less government. Um, in this case, I think that even if on the federal level, there's been some deregulation in the healthcare uh, industry, um, we're in California still big state government. And um, yeah, I, I think we need still a, a continued push for more transparency with prices, less government involvement with healthcare. And uh, yeah, I, I think those two factors will lead to bigger uh, decreases in healthcare costs in California, especially for business owners. Uh, but yeah, I, at this point, it's very hard to be a small business owner in California and in America, really, in terms of how much you have to pay into that, uh, it would be really great if there was some more free market systems allowed into um, our healthcare industry, where you should be able to go to a hospital and know exactly how much you're going to be paying for goods and services, um, what kind of quality you'll be getting there, and then what other local options you have. And that's how the market sets prices. And I think if we were to see that happen in California, um, we would see decreases in costs. Oh, yeah. Preaching over here, Chandler. Yep. Free market. Let everything dictate the price competition. That is the American dream right there. Capitalism at its finest. Absolutely. So, yeah. Thanks again. It was Gilbert um, for getting that question to us. And hopefully you keep listening. And hopefully that answered your question. If not, uh, send us an email at the Matt and Chan Gmail. Um, Matt and Chan at gmail.com if you have any other questions. Um, that's another shout out for our listeners out there. So um, I don't want to hold up anything, but we got Andrew Shin coming on up next. Yeah, I th- I say we get right into that. I wasn't able to be there for that interview. This was recorded a couple days ago, um, but you did a great job. And yeah, our listeners will really enjoy this. So coming up next, Andrew Shin. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Matt and Chan Show. Um, I'm Matthew. We got Andrew Shin on today. Um, he's a professor at Fresno Pacific University. He's also taught at Fresno State and Reedley College as well. He ran a successful photography company, has been featured speaker for faculty and national conferences across the nation, um, and helped create a national curriculum for sharing website for entrepreneur educations. Mr. Andrew Shin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for the invite, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah, so um, got some got some intro questions for you today. I guess uh, maybe to tell a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and um, yeah, sure. Yeah, um, the uh, the short story is that I grew up in Lodi, California. Uh, came here to FU as an as an undergrad. Left before I graduated. Uh, joined the military. Uh, spent some time running um, uh, running media relations for the Coast Guard, both in um, uh, first in in Oregon, then then back in Boston. Uh, moved back here to California to open a business. Uh, opened that, that 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 business, a photo studio, Shin Photography. Uh, ran that successfully for a good 10, 12 years, and then came uh, came into education and started teaching. So I looked uh, into some research on you. You you had your first paper out at ten. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So that was your first business. What was your like? Was this always something you wanted to do? Was business like, oh yeah, I want to go into business. I want to do my own thing. Is that something that you've always been like motivated to do since a young age? Yeah, yeah. My, my dad had me recycling cans at uh, age eight, and, and I started learning about branding. 
started running a paper out at age 10, uh, ran my first really successful business in high school. It was a, um, a firewood company called American Heritage Firewood Company. Oh, wow. And, uh, and, and really enjoyed that. But, but uh, you know, I watched my dad when I was really young get fired from a job and then start a company to, to feed the family and, and kind of really do the responsible thing. And, uh, you know, I still, I still just, just, uh, just look up to my dad and respect him quite a lot. Wow. I watched him go through that experience and, and have always, uh, have always just kind of had that business bug uh, passed down from him. Yeah, I feel that a little bit because that's kind of the same thing as um, my, I actually have my own business that I run too, like a DJ company. Okay. And my dad also started his own business. So there was a, some motivation behind that too. So I, I relate a lot in that. So that's, that's yeah. so cool that you kind of got that business bugging you from the start. And yeah. now you're doing all these big things with economics and business and being able to teach um, young entrepreneurs and everything. Um, so who was like a role model? I know you mentioned your dad. Is he a role model to you in your life or, is, or do you have somebody else in mind? Or? Oh, I have so many role models. Um, I'm a big reader and, and, and a big, big history fan. And uh, I would say that, that some of my favorite, favorite role models are like founding fathers. Mm. Uh, love Benjamin Franklin. I've done a lot of reading about him. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not wholeheartedly sort of in, in approval of Benjamin Franklin, but, uh, but, but I really respect him for the things that he's good at. Uh, same with Thomas Jefferson. Um, I know everybody sort of claims Thomas Jefferson uh, from from their own angle, but uh, but but I've got lots of reasons that I respect him. Um, so yeah, on on kind of on down from there. One of my recent uh, kind of recent inspirations is uh, is uh, Robert Gates. Mm, he was okay. uh, he was uh, a spy for years, uh, ran the CIA, and then became um, uh, became Secretary of Defense under President uh, President President Bush and President Obama. Wow. So um, with your role models and since starting a business at such a young age, what are some goals? I know you're already kind of you're hitting one of those goals just recently. But what what, was, what is your like main goal? Like like when you were young and going through college? Like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Is that what you're doing? You're going to be doing now? Not even close. No, I'd never heard of this. Uh, this this next profession that I'm going into. Um, okay. When I was young, I really wanted to be a farmer. Okay. And I uh, grew up farming, working on my, you know, working on my family farm mm. uh, and and uh, to be perfectly honest. I thought education was a waste of time. I thought that was for suckers. Um, oh, I was wow. never planning to go to college. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had to be talked into not dropping out of high school because, wow. uh, because I really wanted to drop out so that I could take an assistant manager job at Taco Bell. Wow. <laughs> that was, that's uh, crazy. That was my kind of high, high aspiration <laughs> in high school. Yeah. Uh, now you got three degrees. I know you're working on your doctorate, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So. Working on a doctorate right now. Yeah. And that's um, out of uh, Grenoble, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The School of Management in uh, Grenoble. That, that's so cool for somebody that didn't have that. Oh, I want to go to college, and now you're working on your doctorate and finishing yeah. your third degree. And wow. yeah, I still I still see education as, as something that that is largely uh, very personal um, and not not as much institutional. Most of my education has been has been self education. Um, so so I see institutions as a way to as a way to add to your learning or to to sort of enhance your education. Um, or, or one of the tools you can use in educating yourself, but my education is personal. Yeah, that's a that's a good thing to hear because I know there's a lot of stuff you have to do behind the scenes to make sure that you're gaining the most knowledge. And uh, reading's a big thing; just reading books and books oh, yeah. and just yeah. just gaining that extra knowledge. I know it's school is just that it helps, but sure, a lot it's, of the learning, yeah, it's one avenue. Sure, yeah, yeah school's yeah. good, and and schools, I see the the main benefit of school as the ability to learn in a social environment. It's not so isolated. Sometimes it can broaden your horizons by forcing you to read things that you wouldn't have read otherwise, or you know, discuss uh, discuss perspectives that you wouldn't have come across without uh, without the sort of the framework of a of a traditional education. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it's but it's it's only one of the avenues. Awesome. So, um, what's big? Once 
what's one of the biggest challenges you faced in your life to date? Hmm. Faced a lot of challenges. Uh, you know, this, this, this process of, of joining the state department to become a, dipl a diplomat has been a, a very long process. I started it back in 2013 and I've actually gone through five different application cycles um, to, uh, wow. to sort of get, get, get to where I am today. Yeah. And that's a lot of, <laughs> so um, like in that application process, like, I don't know if you can go into specifics on that, like how long that takes and like how much work you have to do in order, like the qualifications. Sure. Yeah. So, so um, the, the interesting thing is that there is no minimum required education. Uh, the, the process is entirely meritocratic. So they're looking for 13 different character qualities, mm. um, uh, things like uh, cultural competence, experience and motivation, uh, working with others, um, uh, information integration and analysis, wow. written, written communication, oral communication, things like that. Wow. So, so you're screened based on those 13 criteria. Wow. Uh, and then and you have to hit each one, I would assume, at a certain level. Wow. Yeah. The process itself is is Byzantine and specific and kind of interesting. So I'll, I'll tell you my story of, of going through the application. I, I first applied in 2013, and uh, I sat down to take the Foreign Service Officer Test, the FSOT. Halfway through the test, the test server quit. It cut out on me. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and I just went blank nationwide. Um, so, uh, so, so I talked to the testing officials and they said, well, that's great. Like your, your application's done for this year. You can wait a year and try again. Wow. Um, and so, uh, so I did, I waited until, until 2014, uh, took the, took the FSOT the second time in, in 2014 In 2014, I passed the test and I failed the essay portion at the end. Oh no. Um, the last part. I'm yeah, so, oh, wow. so I, uh, I wrote this brilliant essay that, that was written for humans before I realized that, uh, that, that it's actually kind of a human, um, it's actually a human, uh, human machine hybrid that grades it. Uh, so anyway, I failed that year. Oh no. Um, third time around, I, I took the test and, and, uh, I wrote a, a really formulaic essay, like sentence one, sentence two, sentence three, paragraph one, two, three, four, five, you know, intro and conclusion for each paragraph, intro paragraph, conclusion paragraph, really simple kind of formula. Um, you have about 25 minutes, 25, 30 minutes to, to, to sort of write that. Oh wow. So I did that. And passed and everything was fine. If you make it through the through the the, the test portion, and about seventeen thousand people take the test every year, um, you make it through, through the test portion, then you're you're invited to submit a, a series of personal narratives uh, demonstrating these thirteen qualities you're looking for, the thirteen dimensions. Wow, I know the FBI kind of does the same thing when you're applying. There's like, yeah. oh yeah, you, if you get past the education portion, then you can get into the physical portion. So I know like exactly. the the training and stuff. Yeah. So is there going to be like, I know you're going to DC to train for about six months. Is that what you um, yeah. that I heard? Um, so, so it's actually a little more in the process. So when you, when oh yeah, 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 so, for sure. Yeah, so, I jumped, so, jumped so ahead. after after submitting personal narratives, then you're invited to to an all day oral assessment. Okay, um, and that that happens in Washington D.C. Oh, okay. So so I flew back to D.C. Um, the first time I took the oral assessment, uh, I actually failed all three portions, and they oh, escorted no. me out of the building afterwards. And that and it was it. Candidacy, candidacy was over. Wow. Um, so that was that was interesting because I I spent an entire summer preparing for this. Um, and, uh, and the essay portion, by yeah. the way, was like in like in DC as well. So you had to fly back and forth, or no, was the essay essay was was part of the FSOT, part of the part of the test at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you awesome. can do that right here in Fresno. Okay. Yeah. So now, yeah, and then you went to take the oral test, and then mm -hmm. you didn't pass. So then the whole application process starts over again. All done. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I took took the test again the next year. This is uh, around 2016 or so. Passed the passed the test. Passed the essay. Submitted the exact same personal narratives. 
that had gotten me an, an invite to the oral assessment the previous year and didn't get an invite. So I don't know what happened that year. Maybe the pool was more competitive. Maybe, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. But uh, wow. So fifth time taking it, I um, passed the test, passed the essay, passed the personal narratives, got another invitation to Washington, D.C., flew back, and I was the only person who passed the oral assessment that day. Wow. Um, and, and I didn't prepare that time, like, like I had spent an entire summer preparing previously. Um, wow. So that, a, that's amazing to hear that. Process, yeah. Wow. So then that was the last time that you passed? So the fifth time was the charm? and then Fifth time was the charm, yeah. Well, and they got back to you just recently, I assume? And Well, after passing... Um, after passing the uh, the oral assessment, you go through this uh, this medical uh, medical uh, medical screening. Okay. Uh, so me and my entire family had to be cleared for for worldwide assignment, um, wow. and that's like chest X rays, blood work, full physical workup on everybody. And there were six of us in my family, so it was it was it was a substantial process. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I bet this is like, and this probably took some time and yeah, about a month or so. Wow! Just um, and they got to make sure doctors, everything's everything's good. Yeah. From wow, that's that's we, amazing the we, process. We took everybody at the, at the doctor's office, uh, you know, like Starbucks drinks and uh, and and you know jam and things like that, uh, just as a thank you afterwards. So wow! Um, so after that, then then is a security clearance. Um, uh, security clearance process, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, this position requires a top secret clearance. So that means an investigation that that goes through my finances, talks to my neighbors, everybody at every job I've worked at in the last ten years, um, you know, a bunch of personal references, and and who knows what else, uh, probably database checks and things like that. But it's uh, wow. um, that that process, that security clearance process, can take as long as uh, two or three years, depending on where you've lived and and how complex your um, your background is, and also, also uh, how busy they are. Yeah, I would um, say if you have multiple jobs and multiple places you're at, you're going to be probably yeah. investigated. Especially if you live multiple places, I sure. bet it even gets even <laughs> a little bit yeah. more tedious. And, you know, having lived at multiple places in, in the world is one of the things they're they're looking for because it shows it shows cultural cultural competence and the ability to work with people from other other uh, you know nations, uh, economic circumstances political beliefs and things like that. But, uh, but at the same time, it also makes your security clearance screening much more complicated. Yeah. I know I was looking at the list of places you traveled. I know India, China, Algeria, uh, Tunisia, Cape Verde, Morocco, it just goes on and on. I don't know. Do you have a favorite place of any of those? Um, you guess we're like, Oh, this is like the most beautiful place or just a place you really enjoyed being. You know, each each one really has its own has its own character. It's kind of like asking, like, what's your favorite food? Well, mm-hmm. it depends on the context, right? Yeah, uh, I uh, I've really enjoyed Singapore. I've taken MBA students to Singapore the last couple of years, and wow. it's uh, it's it's just a beautiful city. It's incredibly well run. It's uh, it's the cleanest place I've 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 ever been on the planet. Um, my current country count is forty five, so I've been in uh, forty five different countries and. Wow, forty-eight U.S. states. I'm hoping to close the gap on those last two states this month. But uh, yeah, I know I have a buddy of mine. He's like, "Yeah, I've done thirty states, but he hasn't done forty-five countries." Yeah, um, and yeah. I'm assuming with the U.S. Coast Guard, that was a lot of you were able to travel and and outside trips as well. Somewhat. Uh, my my first my first overseas experience was when I was eight years old. Um, we had some friends who were missionaries in Japan, and my parents took us to visit them, which was wow. just an incredible experience. I learned my my most valuable. Um, principle for crossing cultures and that is it's not weird it's just different it's not weird it's just different and my mom almost chanted this like a mantra like as an eight-year-old kid you know every food was weird and everything was strange and um and uh and she kept saying it's not weird it's just different and, and she she was really trying to help me suspend judgment and evaluate a thing on its own merits 
And I think that's, uh, th that lesson has, has enabled me to, to really enjoy crossing cultures many, many times since. Yeah, and I, and I feel like going into this diplomatic position, this is going to be this is going to aid very well because 45 countries, you've seen a lot of the world, you've seen a lot of the states, you kind of know how people work in each of these, and then how you can apply that. It's just incredible. I know I want to travel myself, and that's I've always like oh, I want to see the world. Like that's something I yeah. I plan to do, and that's why I'm looking at similar work that you're doing, some international relations work. I think, um, yeah, that I think that'd be so cool to be able to do that, and yeah, yeah you you get to do that. Now it's going to be it's going to be so cool. So, so if you're thinking about international relations work, uh, there are a couple a couple of places that I'd point you. Obviously, take a look at the Foreign Service. It's a it's a you know it's a wonderful institution. I'm a fan. Um, uh, the the State Department also keeps a list of all the different international organizations that the United States is a part of, and it's actually a job board that lists uh, that lists jobs. So the, uh, these are organ organizations like the United Nations. Mm -hmm. The International Atomic Energy Agency, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and, and Development, uh, NATO, and you can see job listings that uh, that sort of like the United States contributes people toward all of these different uh, all these different international agencies. Yeah, I know because I know the U.S. Gov is the same way. You can go on and look yeah. at jobs. I've looked at jobs on there, but I haven't really looked at too much in the international. Just because of recently, I'm like, wow, I think this is something I really want to do now. And yeah, that's that's those are some good resources. Anybody else out there that wants to study international relations? I know we have a good amount of college listeners out there. So good, good. Take a look, you guys. Yeah. So. Um, the UN specifically has a young professionals program. Okay. That's uh, that's that's full for, for kind of like recent college grads, young folk, you know, younger folks or earlier career people, um, that's worth taking a look at. Yeah, I know they talked about it a little bit at when I went to Model UN just recently, oh, yeah, and sure. yeah, there's so many different opportunities and different things after college, but as well in college. Just give a shout out to Model UN as well. I know that's that's I'm hoping to take over as president next year, and looking forward to the different challenges that'll bring. But it's yeah, gonna be exciting. You know, so. Yeah, big fan of that process. Yeah, so. Awesome. So next question is from Chandler. Um, he sent me some stuff. So um, he says, my main question for Andrew is um, what economic diplomat or what the economic diplomat position does and what do you hope to accomplish by holding this position? Sure, sure. Um, Chan, thanks for the question. I appreciate it. Um, an economic diplomat does does a couple of things. Actually, it does, does quite a lot of things. Uh, this uh, People in this position will negotiate trade treaties. Um advocate on behalf of U.S. companies with foreign governments, uh, help inform the U.S. about economic policy and, 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 uh, and think, um, how that relates specifically to our relationships with, with, with other countries. Um, and, then, uh, and then just take on a policy portfolio of stuff that doesn't happen to fall anywhere else. So health science and technology a lot of times will fall under the purview of, of an economic diplomat. Um, energy policy a lot of times is, is, uh, is, is also kind of economic diplomat work. Um, and, and as a, as a foreign service officer, I've agreed to work outside of kind of outside of that specialty too. So I could end up, you know, um, I'll probably end up at least at the beginning working, uh, doing some consular work, um, you know, approving or rejecting visas for people who want to come to the United States and things like that too. So there's gonna be a lot of different jobs for you. And I'm assuming your family's going to be moving with you around the world as well. I don't, I don't know exactly the process of that. If it's like temporary stays here and then temporary stays here, like, I know you said I, I jumped to it a little earlier about uh, going to DC to train and everything. Yeah, yeah. And I bet that's that's going to be a process as well, being able to move and balance family and and work life and stuff. But it should be fun though. On the sure, sure. I mean, so first, Washington DC is one of my favorite cities in the world. Amen. I love that place. You know, <laughs> there 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 are places to me that uh, that that are so emotion laden. You know, when I stand in front of the um, uh, the words inside of. Uh, 
um, inside of the Lincoln uh, mm. Lincoln Memorial yes. or or, uh, or the Thomas Jefferson Memorial. Uh, those are those are like to me some of the some of my really sacred spaces. I, I you know I love those places. Um, but uh, so, so I'm looking forward to to you know living there with my family for a little while. Uh, I'll be there for at least six weeks and as potentially as long as a year or so, depending on whether whether or not I need to pick up languages. Okay. Um, after that, I'll move to a different spot in the globe every you know one to three years. Uh, I've committed to serve away from my family in a in a hardship location for at least a year. Uh, so you know, I think Yemen, Afghanistan, Iraq. Um, I'd, re- I'd really like Afghanistan. That's kind of my. I know there's they were in the news this morning already. So I know there was yeah. different U.S. airstrikes going on there. And, yeah. Yeah. After the peace deal last week. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well the peace deal that didn't last. Yeah, it didn't last very long. I know. I think that really highlights the need for for kind of cap- capable competent ongoing professional diplomacy yeah and i think that you're going to be able to go and do that and actually be able to be active um in doing that and that well in that. <laughs> I, I, I hope to you know diplomats uh, diplomats serve their country they don't serve the cause of peace but in in serving u.s interests and advocating on behalf of, of u.s interests um in that format i think we have the opportunity to 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 head off uh you know head off future wars uh, so as a as a Christian, one of the things that uh, one of the things that excites me about about, about at least the potential in, in this job is that uh, that I could I could change the world. I could uh, I could actually stop wars before they start and do that on, on behalf of my country. Now, again, I'm not committed to serving the cause of peace. I'm committed to serving my country. And so statecraft includes includes, uh, you know, it includes soft power and hard power, it includes diplomacy and war. You can't ever see those as um, as mutually exclusive. They're 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 like golf clubs to be used in different situations. Uh, but still, in practical outworking, more diplomacy means less war. Yeah. Wow. I'm yeah. I'm just amazed that you're going to be able to be on pretty much the front lines representing the U.S. and be able to um, be in that position to help hopefully bring peace. But you said serve the country and and yeah, like commend you for everything that you're doing. That's like that, wow. I'm just. So I have one more question from Chandler. He said, out of all the p- different positions and jobs you have held, which one has made the biggest impact on your values and the way you approach entrepreneurship? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, entrepreneurship is something that is, uh, that's really hard to teach, um, but, but not, not terribly hard to learn. You really just need to try it. So I would say that, uh, that my work at Shin Photography is pro- has probably been my um, most educational job in terms of, of, of entrepreneurship. Uh, one of the interesting things about, about learning, learning in a hands-on way is that you almost never understand something while you're doing it. You have to, you have to sort of try something, get your hands dirty, and then reflect on it later on and, and try to figure out what that was. Mm-hmm. So, so studying, studying entrepreneurship in the, in the years since starting Shin Photo has really helped me to understand a lot of the things that I was, that I was doing and learning at that time. And then, uh, and then be, be able to cycle back and kind of reapply those lessons in a more, um, in a more general and broad and sophisticated way. Wow. So, and that kind of goes into my last question I have for you. Um, so, I own my own business, and I know there's a lot of people around me that own photography businesses and and different things. I know athletic businesses and everything. So, what are some advice you would give to current entrepreneurs and future entrepreneurs here at Fresno Pacific and abroad? Yeah. Um, you know what I'm going to say is not groundbreaking or, or, uh, or novel, but, uh, but serve your customers, uh, love your customers, live for your customers. You really have to make a, make a, a powerful identification with their need, 
a strong connection to serving that need in a way that's compelling for them, and then just deliver service with heart in a way that's uh, in a way that blesses people. Wow. Your your product quality matters, or your service quality matters a little bit, but the way you deliver it and the way you treat people as you're delivering um, is uh, is something that everybody's going to recognize. So my work can be 20% better, 20% worse, and my customers probably wouldn't know most of them, but they all know how I treat them. And they all know whether I'm loving and respectful, Amen. Um, whether I'm you know in, into, into their needs and, and really serving them with my heart. Wow. So um, I don't really have anything else for you. I don't know if you had any closing thoughts, any shout outs or anything. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll give you the, the floor if you had any closing thoughts. Um, yeah, I would just say, Kind of pursuing to our conversation earlier about, about learning, keep uh, you know keep keep pushing your own boundaries and uh, be curious about stuff. Don't don't be afraid to geek out on something and really you know dive into reading about it for a year or so. Um, that's a, that's a practice that that has served me well in 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 broadening my kind of broadening my horizons and get, giving me lots of options. Um, so uh, yeah, don't uh, don't be afraid awesome. to geek out. Yeah, so I appreciate you coming on the show, taking some time out of your busy day, um, and just coming on and just getting to hear about you becoming a U.S. economic diplomat and being able to represent the country. And I uh, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Good, good luck with the podcast. Awesome. Um, and yeah, everybody out there listening, um, stay tuned for next week. I know we got some more people coming on and we're going to keep it interesting for all you loyal listeners out there. So till next time, this is the Matt and Chan Show. <laughs> and we're back uh that was such a great interview with andrew shin matt you did a really great job thanks for asking some of uh, some questions on my behalf andrew thank you so much for showing up on the episode uh it was really great to have you um yeah matt any thoughts on how the interview went it was just a great interview overall and just seeing the humble beginnings of opening his business at age 10 and then his long journey and application process to get into this position. And now he's being rewarded from all this great work that he's done, especially here at FPU. And yeah, I'm just, I uh, look forward to having him on again. I know he talked about coming on the show again. I know in a few months. Um, so I'm looking forward to future interviews and the interactions we have with Andrew Shin overall a great dude. And I wish him the best of luck. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, likewise, uh, to our audience, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. It really means a lot that you're listening. We've had uh, very high increases in uh, our audience. So thank you so much for being a part of that. If this was your first episode of listening, thanks for joining us. I hope you'll join us again next week. Uh, please share this podcast with your friends and family if you think they would enjoy listening to it. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts now. That's uh, new as of last <laughs> week. Yeah, very exciting for us. Um, yeah, and thanks again so much for listening. Till next week, this is the Matt and Chan Show.